What I found super interesting about generative AI and sort of like the, the steps that we seem to be taking towards AGI right now is that actually it seems to be dominantly in these artistic pursuits. I got an anonymous source from a multi-billion dollar AI company, which I can't state, but essentially the most mind-blowing thing that this person has seen is the fact that he took a photo of a spreadsheet, just the numbers, and just from the photo of the spreadsheet, it was able to intuit all the formulas behind to generate all those numbers. I'm curious as to what you think about this focus on human-like intelligence. Like, what is the reason why people believe that general intelligence is going to be anything like human intelligence? I think the same is going to be true of artificially generated content because it's going to be, because it's so much cheaper, so much faster, and will be just as good, if not better, than what a human can produce, then everything is going to be fake online, basically. Everything. I think one of the dangers is that someone does something real and it just becomes so easy to claim that it's fake. And so people can start <laughs> acting with impunity because video evidence, photographic evidence, audio evidence becomes completely meaningless. What's a good way to start a podcast? Last time we did a joke. I don't think we have a joke this time. All right, that's cool. You're not going to help me. Welcome, guys. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Welcome everyone to Technocracy. Today we're talking about AGI and today I've, I was told that I should dress for the job that I want and the job that I want is to become Iron Man and own Stark Tower. So if you're on YouTube, you can see it. And if you're not, then yeah, you can listen to this. Come on, man. Excellent. <laughs> Jarvis. That's all he does. He just says hello. <laughs> And also, we can't hear it. <laughs> oh, you can't hear it? No. You can hear the cool, like, when it comes down, you hear the ch but you don't hear the voice. All right, well, Jarvis was an interesting AGI. What did you think of Jarvis? I mean, back in the day when you first saw it, I remember thinking, like, oh, that's just never going to happen. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed with AGI, so I'm reading this book, Fractal Noise, and obviously Jarvis, and there's like a couple of different AGIs out there. Actually, every time I mention his name, it just says hello to me. It's a bit jarring, so I'm not going to say it. But something I've noticed is that like humans are still doing stuff. Like, it's weird that like, you know, they have this AGI that has the ability to do all kinds of calculations and stuff like that. And yet all, all these books, like in Fractal Noise, for example, there's still an astrophysicist that's doing calculations and making different things. And it seems like every single book I don't know, makes this assumption that human skills are still necessary, despite having that technological leap. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't know if you've seen that in the sci-fi stuff as well. Yeah, I, 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 you know, if I'm not generous, I would put that down to laziness. If I'm more generous, I'd put it down to, it's freaking hard to predict what is thing, what are things going to look like when you have ubiquitous AGI? What are we actually going to do? Like, what, what, what does society look like at the limit there? And you know, as far as a fantasy setting goes, it still needs to be relatable. And I think it may actually be one of those situations where, you know, you think about what society might look like in a hundred years with, you know, totally ubiquitous AGI. And I don't know, maybe at, at that point in time, people just do what they want to do. You know, everything can be done, but you've got to do something with your time and your energy and your passion. So you just, you know, if you're passionate about doing calculations, fuck it, do the calculations passionate about doing calculations that's, that's like <laughs> it's like so hey, maths can be maths can be beautiful <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're right like i actually wrote this down but like in and did you ever read aragon like in high school no okay, my sister was so, big into it but i never got into it okay so in aragon there's elves and they like have a magical society and they have magic that does everything that they want to do so if they want food if they want to make something, it's all provided by magic. So they never have to lift a, lift a finger in this society. And so I was thinking about that in terms of like AI, because like, you know, what do the elves do once that happened? And literally all of them just do musical and like artistic pursuits. And they value handcrafted stuff over magically created things. And so, yeah, potentially what we learn from this is just everyone becomes a musician, artist, or like just like lives for the craft and does... You know, I can't remember where I heard this, but I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for it. But I, I, one of the f obvious things that disappears with AGI fairly quickly is the personal assistant. 
Um, I think that's a no brainer, but what's going to be really interesting and what someone pointed out was that highly likely the really high up CEOs and executives and whatever's are still going to have human personal assistants because you're, it's almost going to be like a status symbol, right? Of actually having a person that is expensive and there's a personal touch to it. It's kind of like humans went through this era where like machine precision was the cool thing when machines first started manufacturing stuff. But now we've kind of come back full circle and we've said, oh, actually, you know, like the little imperfection, the little shittiness or the, the character that, that is, you know, brought about by handcrafting something has this weird level of meaning and, and you know, interest to humans. And I think that's going to continue even in intellectual pursuits. Yeah, it's so true. Like you look at like really old stuff, like a really imperfect spoon or an imperfect vase, and that has way more value than a machined, like, you know, highly perfected piece of, you know, like... But here's my question for you, yeah. like in, in Aragon with this idea of like magic doing everything, does it do art? Because what I found super interesting about generative AI and sort of like the, the steps that we seem to be taking towards AGI right now is that actually it seems to be dominantly in these artistic pursuits. Like my, the, the difference between how I code today versus how I was coding six months ago is improved and it's, you know, more productive thanks to the AI systems that we've developed. But the gap is not nearly as significant as between the art that I can do now. Um, is it still art? I don't know. That's, that's one for the philosophers, but you know, the pixels that I can pump out and the aesthetic of those pixels is just like, that's, that's not a, you know, hundred to 110. That's like a zero to a hundred. And so it's, it's almost backwards to what I think a lot of people expected it was going to be that, you know, like humans would just do these artistic pursuits, but these seem to be the first that, that are, um, I don't know, being challenged. But would you say that the artistic pursuit is being challenged or like the, the zero to one like idea like from idea to execution has become so much easier so that me as a creative person who would never write a book a fiction book but i have all these ideas for fiction books now can write these fiction books with the, just like the genesis of the, of the idea essentially right yeah that's that's really that's a good point i uh, it is i guess maybe more of an enabler than a challenger although certainly i think it challenges the income of a lot of artists because now i don't need to hire graphics designers i don't need to hire you know, people to do a lot of stuff, you know, you don't need to have a graphics designer on your team to create little, you know, design banners for your, your articles. We used to have to have that. Um, you know, my previous company, whenever we would put out our monthly update post, you know, you wanted some nice graphics alongside it. You needed someone who had those skills nowadays. You just don't not even close. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see where it all lands. I think Let's get into the definition, because I feel like we mentioned the word AGI a lot. We haven't actually talked about what it is or defined it. So for those who don't know, we're talking about artificial general intelligence. And in particular, this episode is going to be talking about what it is, what are the implications of it, uh, maybe a little bit of sci-fi ideas around it as well. I think Lung has an idea this time around, because last time I pitched him three ideas and he pitched me nothing, so... He's decided to be charitable. <laughs> I'm going to pitch you one very half-baked, in your words, idea at the end. It's all right. We'll still do the swipe, if I remember which way to swipe. But yeah, we can we can do the Tinder thing. I think people enjoyed the Tinder thing, by the way, like from the couple of comments and WhatsApp messages I received. So I think we can continue that format all right. and maybe change it up. But I did some research over the weekend around what an AGI is. I think I had a basic understanding, but I wanted to dig into a little bit more. So... Google DeepMind's definition is the ability to understand, learn, and perform any intellectual task a human can perform. So this very vague and broad definition. But there was a couple of things that like gave key characteristics. So the first one was learning and problem, problem solving. So the ability to learn new skills and solve problems across a variety of domains. The second one was reasoning and perception. So advanced reasoning skills or perceiving different things that a human would perceive. And then the last one was language understanding. So the communication in general is the ability to, you know, vocalize something and then get it back. Well, it doesn't have to be vocal, but, you know, sending some information and, and understanding that information. So communication or language understanding was a, another part of it. So I think it was those five aspects. Essentially. I think that's a really key point, actually, is that when you talk about language, there, it's, it's a much more abstract concept of language, you know, it's not about necessarily text. It's this multimodal, increasingly multimodal way of communicating where you can communicate with someone through images and, you know, like sign language. 
And that's, that's definitively a form of language. It doesn't have to be, you know, bulk text and LLMs, although it seems that LLMs can use text to very much extract reason from the world. I'm curious as to what you think about this focus on human like intelligence. Like what is the reason why people believe that general intelligence is going to be anything like human intelligence? Obviously humans have a generalizable intelligence. I think, you know, you don't have to read much David Deutsch to be convinced of that, but the, you know, surely an artificial intelligence may not actually resemble a human intelligence. So yeah, that's do you think point. the focus on humanity is just that we're the best general intelligence right now? So that's kind of like the only thing we have to compare to. But Well, I, I think it's a sample size of one, right? So like literally you can't see <laughs> what, what doesn't exist. It's like... I mean, there are animals that have like definitely approach, if not have a, a form of general intelligence. Yeah, it's, by, it's by true. But I, definitions. but I think it's like, it's kind of like how, like that example of like, thinking about four, fourth and fifth dimensions of space, right? And, like, people just can't perceive that because it just... It's not something we're used to thinking about. And it's like that example of a fish swimming in a pond where it's essentially two-dimensional and you take it out of the pond, it's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is a third dimension. So I think for us to think about intelligence as anything beyond just, like, those, those five characteristics, essentially, that I just stated is just very difficult for us to perceive. And I think I think the definition... The, breaking it down to purely those five different things of intelligence makes it a little bit easier to try and figure out if the AI is performing in this in these five different areas as opposed to just like, is it human-like? Because then you can get into all these different discussions around do we have a soul and, you know, all those sorts of things. Or is there something innately human about us that is different to everything else? And like, those are too many philosophical discussions that I, that I think is just not worth the time. Right. Whereas if you just say, okay, it's these five things that we're going to track it across. It, it, it makes I, it I would be interested in, I would be interested in an AGI that is less human, right? Because it's going to, I can do all the things that I can do. I want something that can, you know, look at a spreadsheet and just understand the formula behind it. And that's like, not something I can do. That's where I need help. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need help right? being human. That, that's a good point. Like, I think there are some things that are just like not, currently human like available to humans like even the smartest human in the world couldn't do in that case is that agi is that something else like it's, it's a good point and the thing that long's talking about by the way it's like i was talking to a couple of people and also looking at different people's opinions on agi and i got an anonymous source from a multi-billion dollar ai company which i can't state but essentially the most mind-blowing thing that this person has seen is the fact that he took a photo of a spreadsheet just the numbers and generally spreadsheets have all these like formulas on the back end that sort of define like this cell is related to this and just from the photo of the spreadsheet it was able to intuit all the formulas behind to generate all those numbers and i think some of the people in the group didn't fully understand or appreciate how hard that is but I think a couple of people are like, holy shit, that's... It's, that's... it's freaking crazy hard. Yeah. Like when you think about everything that's going on there, the ability to look at a series of pixels and identify a series of numbers, understand that spatially there's some kind of relationship between these numbers. Just like, just conceptually that a set of numbers laid out on a screen are likely to have some kind of relationship. Like, you know, to some degree, it still blows my mind when I'm working in Excel and I like click and drag a formula and it just kind of knows how to abstract it. That, that's already pretty cool. But, and then to take that and actually build a model or, you know, like on the fly without needing additional training, understand that there is some mathematical model behind these numbers and being able to figure out what that is shows just an insane level of generality because you're, you're dealing with reading pixels and turning them into numbers. You're dealing with spatial information. You're, you're dealing with, you know, mathematical equations. And then you're in all likelihood, you're then communicating that in a semantically meaningful way to a human. That's, I mean, that's getting pretty general. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this particular people, person, this particular person, and a couple of other people were just now starting to worry about the sophistication of some of these models and like how we're tracking and whether we're ready for it from a safety perspective, from a progress perspective, from a like political perspective. So many different things, right? So it is interesting, which is why I think I think the AGI discussion is is. A relevant one right now especially with some of these new advancements coming out like next year we're going to have new models for sure and they're going to be stronger 
they're going to be more powerful. Um, so did this guy give you any other insights into where this is all going? So yeah, he gave me some insights. I also looked at some insights from other people in the space. Uh, so the one thing that he pointed out was just the fact that they're so he showed us a graph between compute and the intelligence of a model. And then he showed the fact that there's a high correlation between the two, but there is no tapering off. So from the car currently, from what we know experimentally, if we increase the number of compute for a particular model, it will get more intelligence with no upper bound, which, you know, could mean a lot of different things. And what he says is the math shows that in six years, the models are going to be so powerful that like there's pretty much nothing that the model will be able to do that a human can't do. Maybe I'm the other way around. Other way around. Other way around. Yeah. But we're already, we're already seeing things that... spoonerisms like that. <laughs> I think I'm just going to get really confused. So when, when he's talking about compute resources, I assume he's not only talking about the amount of compute that you're throwing at, at training this thing. He must also be talking about like the, the number of parameters in, in the model, right? Because yeah. you can take a small model and you can throw as much compute at it as you like. It's hitting a, a wall at some point. Yeah, it's, he's also talking about the number of parameters. I think that's like, that's another correlation as well. So it's compute and parameters. Yeah, so I, I think the the current models are doing trillion parameters, like the biggest one so far, I believe, mm -hmm. just across the trillion. So yeah, but we're talking about petaflop days, which I just found out meant that running a computer, a petaflop uh, of compute 24 seven for one day is a petaflop day. So that's how they're currently week. Uh, per week, is that what you're saying? No, week as in, that's weak. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Only um, a petaflop. Trash. Well, that, that seems to be the, the current measurement for like how much compute is being put into a, an AI system. But that was interesting because the other thought was, so Andrew, Dr. Andrew Nung from Deep Learning AI and Landing AI and also co-founder of Coursera and, and you know, has, has worked in the Google Brain team, has done a lot of stuff in the AI space and he's done a lot of AI courses, which I, I really enjoyed. But one of the things he says is that, you know, AGI is still decades away. He says 30 to 50 years. And so I've, I've seen some pretty mixed responses from people. It's just the fact that like the first guy who was a little bit more existential crisis mode has a little bit more hands-on experience with building some of these models, like in the actual team developing model firsthand. And also it probably doesn't hurt for us to be on the scared and like, you know, let's move quickly and like, let's get on top of this stuff now. Cause if we're too early to the market, great. But if we're too late, you know, we're too late and I'd rather be too early. So I, I'm, I'm leaning towards believing the anonymous source. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the counter side to that is that if you consider the opportunity cost or the value cost of not developing AI quickly and not having, you know, if AI gets super intelligent, it can, you know, diagnose cancer like that. And you slow that down by 10 years with safety measures that maybe aren't ultimately necessary because, you know, let's say maybe there isn't a threat, right? I mean, there's a, there's a risk, but I don't think it's guaranteed that AGI is going to be some existential crisis for humanity. Um, certainly it might be possible, but you have to weigh that up against, you know, how, how much is the cost of not having these kinds of intelligence systems out there in the world, being more productive, saving lives and, and just fundamentally advancing humanity. So I think, yeah, you, you like, I, I am also cautious of, you know, slowing down AI development before it's, I think, even really been established that there is some deep existential risk here. I do see a number of places where it makes sense to just, um, try and unilaterally agree not to use AI, for example, in the control of, you know, like nuclear weapons, at least until we can be pretty damn sure that an AGI is going to be even better than a human is at controlling those kinds of systems. And I think there's also this weird philosophical pathway of saying, okay, if someone accidentally does wipe out humanity, maybe that should be human and not a machine. <laughs> just just from like this weird view of, you know, what's the narrative, what's the story that, that, that ultimately takes us off the planet. But outside of those like key areas, I don't really, I've never really understood the AI doomerism. Yeah, I think, 
I, I mean, I, I think about it from more of an existential crisis around like jobs and what humans are going to do. And I think it's that, that feeling of being replaced. It, it's kind of like if, if you see a, if, if you see a person at your company that's doing super, super well and sort of gunning for your job, you're like, oh, you know, more necessary or like, you know, if you're, uh, if you're significant, hey, others like find a more attractive partner. You've been a as long as I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to create a, a metaphor that makes sense here because like, if you, if you're worried about re being replaced in general, something newer, flashier is going to come in and take your place. Like you start doubting your own place in the world. And I think that's, the, that's where the, the doom and gloom comes from. Right? But that's, that's the, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Compete or die. That's, that's fundamental. That's evolution. Like, you know, technology changes, society changes, it progresses and people need to change with it. They need to reskill, learn new ways of, of providing value. I think yeah. what's interesting about this transformation is it's a lot of the white collar jobs that are probably the highest risk. Like automation of manual labor is still really tough. Like I'm going to stop having a lawyer a lot earlier than I stop having a waiter, you know? Very true. Which means we probably need to start going into blue collar jobs. Uh, there's definitely a lot more opportunity there. You're even seeing in certain countries, like blue collar jobs are becoming more and more, but like they're paying, being paid more and more and it's getting more expensive to say call the plumber and things like that. Cause not many people want to do it. And so they start monopolizing these markets and I'm starting to see way more financial gain happening here. A lot more entrepreneurs in that space, a lot more innovation happening. They're sort of consolidating some of these brands and like marketing them in better ways. And you know, it makes sense. You know, if, if the deep tech thing doesn't pan out, then I know where I'm going. Yeah, I was surprised to see this entire subculture on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days around taking like modern approaches to traditional businesses, like laundry mats and, you know, vending machines and things like that. And it's, it's just fascinating that people are innovating in that space. And like, it's just a totally different type of innovation. But those, I, I don't know, like maybe AGI just still replaces those coordinators, right? Because it's just going to do a better job of coming up with ideas and ways to corner the market. And it's going to have a better strategy for how to do consolidation. And, you know, it's going to be able to do it faster than a human and cheaper than a human because it's, you know, it's conversion of energy to intellectual output. It's just way more direct. Yeah, it makes sense. But there's also some really interesting research and companies in the human-like robot space, which are doing, you know, waiters and things like that. So that I definitely want to do an episode on. And I have a couple of people in mind for guests. So we can talk about that as well. Maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe blue-collar jobs also get automated in the near term. Maybe it's not 20, 30 years away. It could be 5, 10 years away. It, it's hard to tell with any of this stuff. It's, it's like the prediction of where things are going to go, your your time frames become shorter and shorter as we go further and further into this stuff, which makes it a bit scary. I would have thought that you get more clarity over time, but I feel like my my ability to predict these things have you know, gone from well, yeah, I mean, one year to Andrew three months. Prediction, right? Like 30 to 50 years, that's a huge range. That's like an 80% yes. range. <laughs> like 30 years plus or minus 80%. Like that's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. I didn't even think about it that way. So on, on the AI, the road to AGI, so we've talked about what AGI is, I guess I wanted to throw some stats your way and sort of get your thoughts on them. I don't know if you already read this. So GPT-4, the total cost of training was over $100 million, which I don't know if that sounds high or low to you. That was That sounded extremely high to me. I did not expect it to be that much money to train it, considering it's a very small relatively small computer because you have to keep all the, the things localized, right? You can't just like move it around a huge data center. So a hundred million dollars, that's pretty extensive. I feel like it's, it's, there's a huge amount of um, leftover compute, if you want to call it that in supercomputers all around the world where they just don't end up using it. They have like 20 to 30% like overheads. And that's like publicly available research infrastructure where they give out grants and all that kind of stuff. So I can imagine that within like massive data centers, there's even more of that leftover compute lying around. And I, I think that's why a lot of these systems are centralizing around groups like Microsoft who have things like Azure Cloud and they just have these huge data service, which they have to pay for anyway. So they may as well train 
models on it. So, I mean, that $100 million figure is high, but I don't think like it's not quite the same as a company actually literally dishing out $100 million in cash um, because chances are it's being run within a, uh, well, in the case of OpenAI, for example, it is being run on supercomputers with inside Microsoft. Um, you know, and I think some of these are going to be custom built as well. So it also depends on how you're pricing that. Is that $100 million estimate based on what it would cost us to rent that compute power, in which case that's obviously very high. But if you're the one building the supercomputer and you're making this investment for, you know, training the next GPT-5, GPT-6, GPT-7, that's actually potentially a sensible investment if you have the capability to do that. But it does show that a huge amount of the value accrual is actually happening at the hardware level, right? It's the NVIDIA's and the, you know, chip manufacturers that are actually, in the, at least in the short term, going to be really benefiting uh, from the AI boom. So on that note, on the data center side, I'm actually really curious about this. So I don't understand the architecture of it, but, and bear in mind, the ranges here are a bit ridiculous now that you've pointed out the 30 to 50 year thing. So they're estimated to be about 10,000 to 30,000 data centers worldwide, which huge margin of error there. I don't know why the stat is framed that way. And only 325 to 1400 of them are capable of hosting an AI supercomputer. What, um, do you know what, what would make it suitable or not suitable? It's basically going to be around the design, right? Because the amount of flops that you're getting in these data centers is about having multiple GPUs sitting alongside each other. So if you've got a system that's designed for like reserved instances where you're like AWS, let's say, and you're renting out, you know, a hundred petaflops of compute power, but you're renting it out to you know, a hundred thousand different startups, that architecture is, gives you a lot of room to, to change and make things cheaper than if you're renting out a hundred petaflops to one piece of compute where you're having to re-centralize all the data, you're trying to consolidate it, you're trying to communicate between the nodes. And you actually have to start worrying about just like which nodes are physically wired to each other, right? And that really matters. Whereas it matters a lot less when you're distributing that over a hundred thousand different uh, customers. And so I, I would guess, not really knowing for sure, that there's going to be a big difference between data centers that are one big supercomputer that rent out time, often on queues and burst demand, and data centers that are spread out and designed for, you know, having 100,000 people renting it on any given day, or renting it for a whole year and, and not, and that they're distinct workloads. And so, you know, those are really the fundamental differences. The bomb is a great example, you know, the, the Bureau of Meteor Meteorology in Australia, they have these huge calculations that they need to do periodically on a supercomputer. It's one big calculation on one big machine. Now, the amount of compute they use is nothing compared to the number of startups that work on AWS, but there's a big difference between that one big workload and a big number of very small workloads. And so I think that's probably where that's coming from because a single AI would need to view its compute as one single piece of compute, one big job. That makes sense. The next one is that the amount of compute used by AI models had doubled every 21.3 months prior to deep learning. After 2010, when deep learning and AI started becoming more of a thing, I'm, I'm surprised as, as early as 2010, uh, the rate has doubled every 5.7 months, roughly. Jeez. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that's continuing to accelerate whether that's sort of the standard rate since 2010 but i mean it, it it kind of makes sense as to why you see such a crunch in supply for these for the compute then right because what like we're only we only double the amount of compute power that we have in a single system every year or something like this i don't know how that's changed recently because i know we hit a, we hit moore's law sort of the limit of that in a single machine and then we sort of came up with a new one based on just racking up machines next to each other um, I don't know how quickly we're doubling compute power of a single system on that metric, but doubling it every six months is a pretty, pretty tall order. Yeah, that, that's, that's insane. Like you're thinking about, and, and like we're, the reason why we're talking about compute so much, even though we're talking about AGI is because they're highly correlated right now. So if you increase the amount of compute, it's likely that you have a more intelligent model, which is why most of these stats are actually around the computation side of things rather than just like. Yeah. Does that seem so inelegant to you? Like, yeah, how much like, compute does the human brain use? 
I'm I'm guessing a lot. I know I know it's like the stat is ridiculous. I know from a storage perspective, we saw a lot of data, like a ridiculous amount of data in our bodies. But so I don't know the computer. Apparently, side. it's estimated that the human brain delivers a roughly eleven petaflops of operations. Nice. So there's already a supercomputer that does more than us. Yeah, well, supercomputer, like you know, they're typically delivering hundreds of petaflops. Uh, I mean, there's even you know a thousand petaflop supercomputer in the states. Yeah, the exaflop. So does that mean that we're still way more efficient from a like a you know volume to <laughs> computation perspective, right? Yeah, to heat generated to energy required. Yeah. Okay. Well, we do have an episode coming up with brains and jars for artificial intelligence. So I'm curious if that is an alternative pathway that makes a lot more sense than what we're doing now. Because the other stat I wanted to talk about is the energy consumption. So TSMC, a major chip fabricator, accounts for 4.8% of Taiwan's national energy consumption, which is more than the entire city <laughs> of Taipei. Then also just like the computation itself. I don't have a specific stat on how much energy it uses, but uh, it was something like every prompt run on ChatGPT is equivalent to pouring out an entire bottle of water. Emphasizing the, yeah, it's just like a ridiculous amount of energy. I don't know what the water equivalent, but... What is that? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't know if that's an energy thing or is that how much water is used to cool down these systems? I don't know. But that's that's what I've got from this, from the AI Now Institute. What, that, that stat makes no sense to me. As in, is that the energy that you would generate if you could capture the pouring of it? I don't know. It, it sounds interesting. And I like that they did it based on the number of prompts, but like, I don't really understand. I mean, like more, more maybe, maybe more like, I don't know, maybe a better metric is that there are estimates based on, you know, like the, the throughput rate that you get from ChatGPT and sort of like the cost structuring that it probably costs about 0.2 cents to generate uh, a query on ChatGPT at the moment, like in terms of like the, the underlying operational cost. Yeah, well, the point is like, AI is going to have a sizable impact on the environment over time, just from a computation perspective. So it is I think, no, I, I, I hate that argument. You, you saw this happen in the blockchain industry as well, and it doesn't make sense to me. Something needing energy does not mean it's bad for the environment. The creation of the energy source can be bad for the environment, but making that argument is making an argument saying humans need to fundamentally use less energy. There's a better argument, which is just generate more energy and do it in a way that is not going to harm the environment. And we know how to do that, right? We, we, we know that we can spin up nuclear reactors. We know that there are green energy pathways to enabling provisioning that energy. There's nothing, there's nothing about the AI that is harming the environment in that sense, right? If you solve if you just build a hundred nuclear reactors around the world, done, problem solved, right? Like it's it, nothing about the AR, it's energy consumption has to change and suddenly the environmental impact goes away, which means it's not actually the fault of the artificial intelligence system. So sort of like to, to people who lay that at the feet of the compute users is like a very lazy, very shortcut kind of thinking in, in my view. No, that's fair. We're, we're technocrats. We don't, we don't cut corners with energy. We, we use more energy and we'll, push technological advancements, right? So you're totally right. We just need to come up with better energy sources. So let's do let's do an episode on Dyson spheres and harvesting Hawking radiation. Let's make this shit happen, right? Like, let's think we should bigger. also do an, an episode on the stuff that's maybe a little bit uh, closer to actually happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we also need the episode on things that are going to happen in a thousand years because that's interesting, right? Gives me the motivation um, to live for the next 999 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brian Johnson, if you're listening, we do need an episode on that so we can do the Dyson Sphere episode. We basically need your help to get to that point first. Let's talk about the implications of AGI. So, curious to hear your thoughts. I have some thoughts just from, like, the... I run an education business that retrains people into new jobs, and I've been thinking from an existential perspective. Like, the World Economic Forum estimates that AI will replace... 85 million jobs by 2025, which 
I actually have no idea how they come up with the stat. Like, if someone's sitting down... I was just about down... to ask you, like, wh- <laughs> who are we trusting to be coming up with that number? So the only reason, only time I use these numbers is to help my agenda when I'm pitching investors. And it's like, you know, we need to retrain a billion people by 2030. <laughs> and no one questions it. No one's like, oh, why? Like, <laughs> who are we retraining? What are they learning? Like, it's... It's just a stat that the World Economic Forum said. So, you know, we, we take it as gospel. But I'm curious about uh, the impact of jobs by 2025. That's pretty near term. That's in two years. And 85 million jobs is, is not a, a small amount. Do you have any thoughts on the, on the impact of jobs? Well, do you yeah. know what the breakdown of that 85 million is? Like, which countries, yeah. which sectors? They usually just give these really high-level statements. And then there's... Some stuff around like which segments are uh, impacted slightly more, but you know, not not a lot, whole lot of data. So I find it really interesting. I, I definitely think that AI is going to replace a number of jobs. Um, you know, I look around the kind of roles that are in my company, and, and there's many of those which would disappear. Uh, we're already. I mean, there are many jobs that we. Uh, most of the jobs we we probably wouldn't replace, but they would prevent us from having to like using AI would prevent us from having to hire. Uh, other people, right? So I guess you can say that's that's sort of like job loss in some sense. And I think that's because we're a growing startup. So, you know, like we're, we're not yet at the stage where we'd be cutting back on staff. As far as AGI goes, I don't know. But yeah, in the next two years, even if we're not achieving AGI, we're already using artificial intelligence systems to communicate with third parties. So there's a lot of, in my industry, there's a lot of contract with third parties that happens where you outsource work, you know, the development of, you know, the synthesis of chemicals, for example, that's just, you know, there's just a standard for how to do that. You find some company, you haggle over price, you send them the designs, you tell them where you want them delivered. And that is a process that we now use artificial intelligence to negotiate because it's just, it's just a hassle, right? Like a, a human gets very busy, but an artificial intelligence system doesn't get busy. And so as soon as an email hits our inbox from the CRO, we can immediately generate a response and immediately send it back out. And that AI never forgets to send a follow-up it never forgets to be polite. It never gets frustrated, right? It never forgets to push for the same set of information every time. And it can, and it, it's now at a stage where it can be responsive to that third party. If the third party throws a curveball at us, the AGI, well, the, sorry, the AI system knows what to do. We still monitor it for obvious reasons, but I, I think it's getting to the stage now where that it's it's just like part of the workflow, right? And that's going to once agents kick in. And you start having these agent-based systems that can actually take actions in the world and issue actions like requests for actions to each other. Then I think you know a lot of you know PA work is going to disappear immediately. Um, a lot of operational stuff will will disappear. Uh, I'd be pretty surprised if project management sticks around. A lot of this middle management stuff, which is just people remembering to do stuff a certain way, is going to disappear. What I hope you get is like these project managers coming together and like forming styles and working with artificial intelligence systems to train them into a certain style because investors bet on teams right and so investors are maybe like perfectly like the good investors are perfectly positioned to like find the best teams and then get them together and say train this artificial intelligence system to do the things the way that you do it and then boom we can just use that in every single one of our portcos right then there's all kinds of things around content creation you know we already talked about digital art for example i think that's I'm probably never going to pay for a graphic designer ever again, simply because it's just not efficient to do so. Yeah, you're right. I think there is, there's a couple of vectors where this makes sense, right? So the first one I would say is I think the, the fact that people can now do the job of five or 10 people, right? And that's going to just cause a lot of job shortages that way. So instead of hiring 10 people to do a certain task, like, you know, let's say a VC venture capital analyst that's like looking for deals with you know ai prospecting you know you can put your pitch deck into ai and be like you know can you rate this from one to ten and you automatically cull the number of people that you're going through market research can be automated you can have one analyst doing it instead of five or ten across multiple different industries which makes it quite likely a lot of the jobs would just be gone from that perspective so what we're hopefully going to see is an increase in consumption because generally with technological advancements even though we've become more efficient and we need less people to produce the same amount, human consumption exponentially increases. Actually, not exponentially. I think it is more linear, but there is an increase in in consumption. So 
the way you could think about it is that you know even it's though because technology has a dis like are you talking about an increase in consumption in terms of what like what what's the unit of measure here just the amount of stuff or the, the price of the stuff the aggregate volume cost like what's the, the amount of stuff that we're using so an example would be you know the gutenberg press right the printing press so when that came out people worried because you know handwriters and all these jobs like started disappearing but then people went from consuming one book to consuming 10 books 20 books 30 books and so the rate of consumption increased and therefore people needed to work and print more books to make that happen, right? So there's more jobs that came about because of it. And so every time we have these big waves of technology, people panic because of the jobs, but consumption increases. So it's highly likely that we'll just start consuming more as an entire global society. We just demand more things, want more things. And, you know, hopefully with the human augmented workforce, we can, sorry, AI augmented workforce, we can make that happen. You've already bought into the fact that everyone's just an AI now. And, you know, like, I'm actually not even taking this interview. I've just trained an AI to represent me and I'm, I'm at home sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Like long doesn't exist. I've just been, I couldn't convince the real long to do the, do the podcast with me. So I just made it. Yeah, AI what was the last time you physically saw me in person? Yeah. It's, it's been like a solid year or so. For everyone so listening, yeah. this is your last chance to call your loved ones and come up with a code word that only you know. So that if you're ever talking to someone online that you can, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I, I, like, I mean, it's a joke, but I'm also partly serious. Like, I mean, imagine what scam mm. calls are going to be like, I'm going to get a scam call from like you because there's enough vocal like recordings of you online or people are going to get scam calls from me where it sounds like us and it, it's, you know, the voice sounds the same, the intonation sounds the same and the story is convincing and reactive and it's, you know, like that's, going to be pretty difficult to deal with. Yeah, I, I think everyone needs a safe word now. So like safe words are just going to become the norm, essentially cryptographic keys that you just have between each other, like, you know, your public key, your private key, I'm just going to use that for communication at all times. But there are some crypto companies that are trying to solve this, right? From a, a fraud perspective to make sure content creators stuff is real because you're seeing this at scale with, say, Mr. Beast or Elon Musk, you know, talking about their new crypto coin on YouTube shorts. And then people are like, oh, is this real? Is this fake? And I still have some of my friends sending me some of these links thinking that they're real. I think because I've played with some of these models, I can kind of tell by the intonation of the voice that it's not quite right. But see, but okay, I, so think, I have this theory yeah. that people are afraid that AI, not even AGI, but AGI will obviously make this fear worse that disinformation is going to get more problematic on the internet. And while I think there will be a period for which that is true, I actually think it saves us from disinformation online. And the reason that I think this is that if you look at banner ads, like these shitty little, like, you know, hot singles in your area, like whatever, the, the click-through rate on banner ads used to be something like 37%. That's like one in three ads. Someone would be like, oh, that looks interesting. And they'd click on it. Now, if I wind back to like the noughties, that kind of makes sense because you just had zero exposure. You had no idea what to expect. You weren't trained on how to use the internet. Nowadays, that click-through rate is more like 0.1%. And when you look at how shitty websites are built to like throw these banner ads at you, that click-through rate is probably almost entirely accidental, right? I think the same is going to be true of artificially generated content because it's going to be, because it's so much cheaper, so much faster, and will be just as good, if not better, than what a human can produce, then everything is going to be fake online, basically everything. And the only way that you're going to have any chance of knowing that it's real is that when I met you physically in person, we scanned each other's, you know, signal QR codes and set up an established channel that was definitely you and me. And then we communicated on that channel. And we're kind of going to go back to this phase of like more point to point communication where the only time that you trust that Mr. B said something is when you're watching it on his freaking YouTube channel. Right. And I think there's, as a result, there's going to be this reversion back to, Maybe not institutions, because I wouldn't call Mr. Beast an institution, <laughs> but an institution-like mentality that there are places of authority and people of authority and like sources of truth. And, if, and you have to establish a personal connection and relationship with that source of truth somehow. And then once you do that, that's the only way that you can really trust content is that it comes from one of these definitive sources. But I think therefore the platforms are going to have platforms like X are going to have a really, really important job to do, which is making sure that it's very clear 
that, you know, at POTUS really is owned by the person that it feels like it should be owned by. Um, yeah, I think it's such a good point. And in marketing, you know, it's, it's called banner blindness, right? Like that's the concept that we're constantly using to make sure that we have things that aren't invisible to the user because sometimes for example you will have a feature on your platform that looks like an ad but they just scroll past it but it's not actually an ad it's you, you just designed it to look like a banner and so you got to get rid of those things and so often in growth hacking you're looking for pattern breaks it's like a very common thing you're trying to do how do you make them stop scrolling and be like oh like what happened there like that's weird and you want to break that pattern and so you see this even today with newsletters every second person has a newsletter I mean, there's a couple of things. Newsletters are not as popular anymore. They were super popular at the start when they could consolidate, summarize a bunch of things for you. And now everyone's kind of like, nah, like I'm looking to hear from someone real and authentic and has their own voice. And it's more about the personality. The second thing is, if you look, I don't know if you follow newsletters, but newsletter ads have to be more creative now. Because if you just put a banner in there, like, you know, sign up for Eight Sleep over here. Like, you know, here's the banner ad they'll just scroll right past it. So you have to have way better ways to like integrate the ad into the content to make it more applicable to the audience. And so it's very clear that that's happening. So you're totally right. Like I never thought about that, but when you bring it up, it makes so much sense that AI content is just going to become like banner ads in the future. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would hope that, you know, like when you're going direct to the source, which, so I, I love email based newsletters because you're like definitely getting any, well, to some reasonable degree of security you're definitely getting an email from this person and you know that they've curated and maybe they've used an ai to help them but that's fine you're generally trusting their process and trusting their reputation i would hope that ads become a little bit more authentic you know i, I think podcasts like huberman lab are a great example of this right where yes there are ads but they're curated ads they're things that match that, like they kind of make sense right and you don't need an artificial intelligence crazy ML machine learning freaking model to tell you that these ads are going to make sense to the target audience. You're there, you're learning about how to be healthy and he's advertising services that he personally uses and believes in. That's what advertising should be. Like advertising is a valuable thing to society. People make cool shit and they need to let you know about that cool shit. I think what people have become tired of is this like bullshit advertising of stuff that I don't need. I don't care about. I Googled this thing once and now I see nothing but ads for that thing for the next week. Right. And that sort of like guerrilla marketing of making you, you know, like need stuff that you don't really need versus finding stuff that helps you do something you really actually wanted to do. There's a really fine line between those two things. And I would hope <laughs> my techno optimistic view would be that the proliferation of fake content becomes so high that humans essentially become immune to it. And we just start ignoring everything that we don't know for a fact a priori is authentic. One, one question I have for you that I have, I've not thought about too much. And one of the things that continues to concern me is that this idea of fake news is actually, the danger isn't that someone, I think, hears fake news and believes it. Obviously that's dangerous. I think one of the dangers is that someone does something real and it just becomes so easy to claim that it's fake. And so people can start acting with impunity because video evidence, photographic evidence, audio evidence becomes completely meaningless. Like how is a court of justice going to hear evidence anymore in 10 years? I got a photo, so, I got a video, I got an audio clip. Fuck you, it's, it's AI generated. How are you gonna prove that it's not? That's crazy. I don't know if it was you that told me this or someone else, but there have been certain cases where people are wearing an extra finger to pretend that it's an AI video, AI image, because they know Sure, that, and eventually like, it's going to be AIs versus AIs, like trying to out-game each other, right? Yeah, but like, you know, a human can pretend that, you know, just by wearing an extra finger, be like, hey, you know, it has six fingers, it's not me. Like, it's clearly AI-generated, but it's, it's just them wearing an extra finger that many crimes that way. I, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I can definitely see business opportunities in quotations coming up because of that so it's, it's definitely a space to watch and think about when it comes to law and regulation and ai and enforceability and, and all these sort of things right so you're right no, no good answer to that but on the marketing side of things just to put my marketing hat on and defend our honor as like you know growth marketers <laughs> and ads 
because you know your point was like you know people don't want to be sold random things and you know you don't want to push things but in actuality like users don't know what they want until you tell them what they want and so there's, there's two types of like advertising right there's like the capturing the latent demand which is sort of like you know people that were just sitting there scrolling facebook and then they see this ad that was like hey you're looking for something for valentine's day well like we've got an amazing new product that you could try out and you're kind of like guiding them towards it to buy it right but they were never going to buy it they like weren't even in the market you've just like convinced them that they're in the market and they buy this thing i don't think there's a problem with that i maybe i'll okay. clarify my position by saying there's nothing wrong with capturing that latent demand but keeping people on your platform for as long as you can just to sell them crap is slightly different and so people try to like okay. a lot of like when, when you're trying to advertise your your SaaS product for re-educating people that's very different from saying i've got a, a you know news website and i'm trying to create content that keeps you there for as long as possible so i can just fucking throw as many ads as you have, as possible that's very different from again like the podcast type thing where someone comes in and says hey i've got a 45 minute, one hour long episode. That's my content. Like I'm not trying to keep you here for like an indefinite amount of time, but within that, I'm going to pitch you some things that maybe you didn't know existed and maybe you didn't know could help you, uh, you know, be healthier or, or whatever it is in relation to this podcast. Um, and I think that's sort of like doom scrolling when everything's fake. What's the value in doom scrolling? Don't get me wrong. There'll be people who fall into that. Right. And who just live in this like AI generated world. And they're just constantly bombarded with, with generated content that's optimizing and re-optimizing to keep their attention no matter what it has to do to do that and periodically show them an ad and finding ways to make sure that they don't even realize it's an ad. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I just don't, I can see myself just being sick of that. Like part of, when I doom scroll stuff, I doom scroll it because it's interesting because I it, it's, it actually has bearing on my life and it exists in the real world. And, you know, like other people are actually up to that kind of stuff and they're doing things and that's cool. Um, not just random fake shit. <laughs> um, and the other weird question is like, if, if we're just like little elves just doing art all the time, what is the value in advertising to us anymore? Yeah, you're right. You know, it just depends like how, I have no idea where human consumption is going to go in terms of the things that we're going to buy, the things that we want and things like that. So I, I do like to envision that there's a future where just, everyone lives in luxury right like you you like humanity and ai are creating at such a pace that like everyone has a private gym everyone has a private pool and like everything is just stacked on top of each other just if, if that's where things can go uh and everyone is consuming like they're a hundred millionaire right you know then you need the production to sustain that and maybe that's where we go oh i don't know if the planet has enough space for that kind of stuff but yeah, that's, that's what I'd like to think. Hey, does it? Everyone so. just like lives in virtual reality. True. Yeah, actually, yeah, we just plug into the matrix, and you know, we can have everything. So, okay. Else. Speaking of matrix, AI or AGI in popular culture, her ex machina, surrogates, the matrix, like all of these things are actually now like, within reach. That's the really scary thing. You know, like when I watched Matrix for the first time, it was sci-fi, but now it's like predictive <laughs> you know, like when you watched her it was this weird fantasy and, and sure okay the, the sort of like weird transcendent off into the like ether part is probably not going to be what happens i would happily bet some money on that but having a personalized operating system that you can talk to and say i want that to sound like scarlett johansson uh that's absolutely going to be a thing like <laughs> it probably already is a thing so i still don't understand this whole thing i brought this up before that in every pop culture reference of like a like an agi system the agi is never really given the authority to make decisions and humans are still considered above them in terms of intelligence and the ability to make those decisions in her it was a little bit different like dude terminator okay yeah terminator is an example like but that's like you know i'm, I'm talking like ship's assistant like every time a ship's assistant is portrayed like a spaceship there's like onboard ship's assistant they don't make any decisions it's like they just are told what to do and they do these like very low level things calculations but it's always like a an expert scientist a you know an expert in this that like is doing things and i, I think it's it's really hard for 
the authors to sort of think about what a human would be doing in, in this scenario. Because I come back to fractal noise. Well, they more, have more fast and light travel. It's impossible to it's impossible to know what the AI would be doing if you actually gave it full agency, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And the speed at which it's going to be making these decisions inside a tiny little box. Like, how do you make a movie out of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it just made no sense to me. Like, I'm reading this book and they're, like, walking through a sandstorm and I'm like, but you have, like, fast and light travel, you have an AI, you have all of these things and how are you still manually walking through this desert and, like, collecting samples by hand and, like, what is going on? Like, the... The progress in technology seems so like uneven, so it made no sense to me. So I'm, I'm yet to see a book or pop culture thing that, you know, is really close to real life in the next 10, 20 years. I'd like to see that. But do you think, do you think that is not close to real life? I mean, like to take the argument, right? Like we still have, you know, we have something very like, approaching AGI. It may take 30 to 50 years to truly cross the threshold into it, but we certainly have incredible technology but yeah we still walk around and collect samples by hand for sure like the, you know what was the saying the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed yeah um, <laughs> access to an agi is actually point. really easy right because you just need an internet connection and a machine that's you know connected to the internet and, and fast enough to interact with it whereas like a physical robot that can move around and collect samples in the desert that's a much more expensive piece of equipment it's resource bound in a way that intelligence isn't more expensive than faster faster light travel like that's <laughs> that's the ftl thing got me every single time it's just like they're doing all this well that's shit. not possible so i don't care about that <laughs> <laughs> that it just annoyed me sometimes a sci-fi book would just annoy me because of like one tidbit i'm just like can't get over this one point so you're a hard sci-fi kind of guy I, I like reading some sci-fi, yeah. Not a lot. Sometimes it gets a bit, like, odd. But I think, like, sci-fi is a good prediction of the future. You know, some of this stuff, like, comes true in the end, so... So, from, from that perspective, like, AGI in pop culture is dominantly doom-centered. Like, I feel like we're due for, like, an optimistic view where the AI doesn't go rogue and take over humanity and, you know, like... Something, you know, her was perhaps a reasonably close version of that, right? But some future scape where AI happens to be around it, AGI happens to be a thing, but it, maybe it's not even the, the core plot. It just, it just is there. Yeah, man, it's called Futurama. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, robots Please like Bender, it's like... <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I mean... You, the... You talked about Black Mirror, that episode where her husband dies and then she uses like his emails or something oh, yeah. to recreate. For sure, that's already a thing. Like, as in, our technology is already capable of that. Maybe not the recreation of the, the human in physical form, but certainly, the, you know, if someone is prolific on social media and you have access to all of that information and you have access to all of their their communications digitally recreating a, a digital likeness of them is for sure a done thing. Yeah. I, I think that's like closer. One of the closest things we'll have. In fact, I'm training my own replacement right now. I've been trying to feed it my YouTube videos and various sources of information. <laughs> I have thought about going the extra level and like feeding it more personal stuff, but I'm like not quite there yet, but I am training my AI clone or replica which will be interesting agi yeah yeah actually that's a good name <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the last five minutes or so what is your speculations on the future of agi what, what are you thinking any any thoughts i have on no that idea but in terms of the future? i'm gonna pitch you my um my crazy idea yeah yeah go for it okay so my my tinder profile for my ai startup company is if you look at the average returns for the S&P 500 over the last, well, I guess since its inception, inflation adjusted, it's, it's about 9%, right? And so if you project that out over the next 100 years, right, that's a 5.5 thousand X return on your money. Modern day 
equivalent. So my pitch is you take a couple million dollars and you lock it up. And I think with, you know, I'm just going to talk really abstractly with blockchain technology, you can truly lock it up and actually make it inaccessible except for this set of rules for a hundred years invested in a financial instrument like that. And then if you've, you know, if you put in $5 million, let's say, which is totally achievable, you end up with $27 billion, right? One of the richest singular entities in the world. And then you hand this money to an artificial intelligence and you give it like an opening mandate, like a charter that's like a, a prompt, right? And so over the hundred years, individuals can contribute to the research and development and most importantly, the, the training, the compute power, right? To your point about just like huge amounts of compute power being required. So you get a hundred years of artificial intelligence development, right? I think that it's far beyond the span of anyone's predictions about when AGI hits. You get a hundred years of distributed compute like contributions. And if you look at, you know, the amount of, you know, pay to flops that go into um, in Bitcoin mining, right? Let's say you're, you're talking about, you know, you were talking about pay to flop days. You're talking about like Yoda flop years at this scale. And the idea is that the proportional amount of contribution that you make to the development of this artificial intelligence over a hundred years, how you quantify that, not a hundred percent sure. The dumbest way would just be flops contributed to training. You know, plenty of issues with that. You get these voting tokens and then you can vote on a charter. And then at the end of the hundred years, this AI wakes up and it's given a whole series of charters, maybe only the ones that got above 1% of the vote at least. And it gets told what the percentage weighted vote on each of these charters was. And it gets told, go for it. That's my pitch. I think someone so should build that. So let, let me clarify. You, there's two things happening in parallel, right? You're investing in the S&P 500 or whatever and like letting that compound for 100 years and also training this system. And then after 100 years, you give the money to the to the AI. Yeah, after 100 years, they come together, right? Because you, okay. need, you need the system that's going to get trained over 100 years and you need someone to give this thing the mandate. That's what makes sense of the people that contribute to its training. And maybe people could also contribute additional capital to the pool, right? They acquire the right to vote on what its charter is going to be. Now, the really cool thing about this is when you think about an entity that is incredibly intelligent and has $27 billion to throw around, you know, the dumbest thing you could do with that money would be, okay, take your 2 billion interest generated per annum and just that's your budget, right? Just to eternity. You have this like forever being that would just sit in the internet and continuously pay for people to keep servers on, you know, again, blockchain style, if, if you want it to be like that. And you have this like, immortal indestroyable entity that has like a really specific charter that it's trying to execute on um which i think is just the freaking coolest idea ever as long as 4chan doesn't get onto it within that 100 year period <laughs> like the absolute <laughs> worst thing that could happen is that the charter is hitler did nothing wrong you know yeah yeah, yeah. no that's true why 100 years because it's outside the lifespan of any human like just why, so the why idea is, is to create a project. The idea is to create a project that is beyond, like, to encourage people to think beyond themselves, right? Okay. And so when you when you create this system that is totally self sustaining, that is definitely going to unlock in a hundred years, you force people to think about what's going to happen when that time comes. And I also think it would just be it's like some crazy Illuminati shit, right? Imagine imagine being our grandkids in 70 years, right? And you know that it, the 30, there's a 30 year clock that's ticking and it's gonna happen in your lifetime and this insanely intelligent being is gonna come online and you're watching this dystopian world around you collapse into disarray and you're like, God, I'm just gonna hang on for 30 more years <laughs> um, until it comes in and saves us. Like, I don't know, I, it, I feel like that's, you bring something really cool into existence. And theoretically, no one's around that's a stakeholder when it when it comes alive, right? Like, literally, there is no affiliated parties in, in the direct sense when it comes alive, is the thought, right? Yeah, I guess the, the original founders of such an idea are not going to be, a, probably not going to be around for it to turn on. And so they have, I don't know, they just have a different incentive. I'm not sure whether it's pure or whether it's actually more corrupt, but 
I don't know. Either way, I think it's a pretty sick idea. Someone will eventually do it, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the, like, I love everything about it. The only lacking thing right now is that, I mean, distributed training for AI is just not a thing right now, right? Like, they haven't figured out how to... Oh, federated training is definitely a thing. It's just less efficient. But you can afford to be a thousandfold less efficient with something like this. But from what I've, like, from the people I've talked to, they said that you can't currently run training in parallel. Like, it's just like, it's not tasks that could be done that way. Because I did ask this question, like, why can't you do distributed training of AI? And they said, we haven't figured out a way to, to make the task in parallel. Um, I don't know about modern models. And so maybe you do need to wait for some in, some breakthroughs there. But federated learning is definitely a thing. Obviously, I, I think there, it precipitates a huge amount of communication. Like from what I know about the architecture of these networks, in principle, there's no reason why you can't distribute it. They already are distributed. Training doesn't happen on a single GPU. So by definition, it is distributed. The challenge is the data transfer and the latency associated with that. And, you know, the 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 thousand ten thousand fold loss of efficiency but i think if you're talking about getting a huge amount of people contributing compute power you know folding at home style over a hundred years i think you can afford to be inefficient yeah it's a good point i also like it just from you know if this podcast gets big enough and we launch this thing and let it go like the branding is perfect like it is it is literally a technocracy right <laughs> Just That's what I'll take call it when, it's, when I when I make this thing. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you're uh, interested in this idea, just just follow us on Spotify. So, I'm sorry. Is that a swipe right? Is that a super like? I need to know how I did here. It's 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 a swipe right. If that's a yes, because it, the we we can't do the distributed training yet. So if you can figure that part out, it's a super like. Yeah. All right. Cool. You just need to figure out the tag. I'll get on it. <laughs> I'll get on it. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. If you're interested in signing up for the the technocrat, the the, the automated AI that's going to have access to a couple billion dollars in a hundred years that will do whatever it wants, then you know subscribe now because if you subscribe early, I don't think we're going to do any weird gimmicks with airdrops or anything like that. But you know you'll get extra, <laughs> you'll get early access. <laughs> You'll find out about it first. So subscribe, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, and tell a friend about it. Tell one friend this weekend and share them this episode on AGI because you will sound smarter in that conversation. And that's what's important, right? You just want to sound smart to your friends. And that's what we're going to help you do. So <laughs> yeah, thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye.